this evening, say I felt myself breaking into a great smile to see so many familiar faces um, and very much a warm welcome back to all of you and a very warm welcome to those of you who are new on this retreat. This retreat's a little bit of an anniversary for Narayan and I. Um, although this retreat has been running for 24 years now, it's our 21st anniversary of teaching this retreat together. Sound like an old married couple there. <laughs> We're celebrating our 21st anniversary, and actually we're celebrating it with some of you, and that's really quite a remarkable thought. Um, as Ramda says, still here. I just want to, though, acknowledge the, the sort of lineage of this retreat and this community over so many years from its humble and kind of uncertain beginnings. Just the fact of so many of you coming over all these years has really contributed to, I think, establishing a, a kind of women's, might almost go so far as to say, lineage in this tradition in this country. And that's really quite a beautiful and wonderful to have happened and be happening. And I think it's also something to acknowledge and honor as we begin the retreat this evening, that certainly as we come on retreat, part of our practice is truly to take refuge in the Buddha, the possibility of each of our awakening to take refuge in the Dharma, the, the path and the teaching and the practice that we'll all engage in together, but equally to take refuge in the Sangha. And as you look around in this room, as we eat together and practice together, to acknowledge really just as important as solitude and aloneness is in this path, in this teaching, equally important is this sense of community and sangha and the way that we do come together in a way acknowledging uh, the Buddha in ourselves and the Buddha in each other. Um, for those of you who are new to this retreat, this is Narayan and Christina, this is Madi, who will also be uh, teaching with us and supporting the retreat. And this evening, <coughs> I know probably uh, many of you, like me, are probably quite weary and travel tired and on some other time zone. But this evening, we would really like just to give a fairly brief kind of overview and sense of direction to the practice and to the retreat. Now, the Buddha once said that just as the great oceans have only one taste, 
which is the taste of salt. He says, so too does this path and this teaching have only one taste, which is the taste of freedom. And as we begin our practice, continue our practice, it is really an invitation to us to partake or savor that sense of freedom, which the Buddha says pervades the whole of his teaching from its most gentle surfaces to its profound depths. And this is something really to keep at the forefront of our intention, the forefront of our practice. <clears throat> and I think for our practice to have that taste of freedom, there are several qualities and I might call them attitudes or intentions that are truly important and that really allow for the transformative possibilities of this practice. One of those qualities is loving kindness. <coughs> Excuse me. And the other is generosity. Both of them equally important. This whole practice is really rooted on the ground of loving kindness. Kindness in our practice, kindness in our attitudes. <coughs> Excuse me. Kindness in our way of being together. I'm going to need a glass of water. I don't actually have a cold, so this is something. But I think as we begin to practice, it's really important to, to have that attitude as our own ground, our way of being with ourselves, to really temper this tendency towards being so harsh or forcing or judgmental in our lives with ourselves. And the other is the attitude of generosity. As the Buddha said, it's the first foundation of meditation practice. To be generous with our attention, to be sincere in our practice, to be generous in our willingness to begin again, and to be generous with each other. You know, we live here together over this week, you know, pretty much a hundred of us. In a big building, but it starts to feel pretty small, actually, when you have a hundred of us in it. And, you know, many women tell me they come on this retreat and they expect or somehow imagine that it's going to be so amazing to be together with 99 other women. Well, it can be. It is. But also we find that, you know, we can get as irritated and annoyed with another woman as we can with anybody else in our lives. And living together in this way, you know, it's, it's really the whole essence of community. It's cultivation of tolerance, spaciousness, uh, forbearance, patience. All of those things that we're really asked to extend to each other and to extend to ourselves. Now, upon this ground of loving-kindness and generosity, we 
really learn to collect ourselves, to gather ourselves. I really have so much fondness for this word collecting. You know, you can see as you arrive here, you know, how much our attention, our sense of ourselves can be spread so thin in our lives. And as you come here and take your seat, it's really that sense of gathering, collecting, really being here, really being present. (coughs) And we learn to cultivate wise attention, to calm our minds, calm our hearts, calm our bodies. You know, there is much in life that can torment us. Difficult people, difficult situations. Quite frankly, there's little that can torment us so much as our own minds. You know, there's so much in life that can bring so much happiness and delight. You know, wonderful people, wonderful situations. But truly, there's little that can bring so much happiness as a well-trained and collected and gathered mind and heart. When I first began to practice, my teacher suggested that to begin to practice, we should choose a secluded place with long views. I really think of that in beginning a retreat. I mean, here we have a relatively secluded place. You know, we all let go of a lot to be here. We simplify, we let go of busyness, we let go of our schedules, our projects, our entertainment. We do let go of a lot. But a secluded place is not just external. A secluded place is also an internal place commitment, I would say, because we know that we can be in a very secluded place physically and have a very unsecluded mind. You know, so secluding our mind is not about shutting out the world, but it's about not being busy. It's about not prowling, not um, having too many parallel agendas. The long views is also not just something external, although I do feel the external is really helpful with the long views. Now, I find in my own practice, nature is such an ally to be able to stand outside and to look out over the distance to the hills on the horizon, to have the the sense of the trees and the, the silence of the snow to really have that sense of spaciousness and the long views in nature. But this is also an internal way of being. You know, because in retreats we can get so preoccupied with the uh, contents and the experience of the moment, you know, good sitting, bad sitting, you know, interesting, boring, getting somewhere, not getting somewhere. Long views is having a much kind of larger perspective, a much bigger sense of vision of our practice, 
which is really not determined by the particular contents of the moment. The long views that are really born of being aware of what this, this practice, this dharma, is really committed to. You know, the freedom of our heart, the compassion of our heart, liberation from confusion, the sense of inner spaciousness, a deep sense of inner spaciousness that, that we can come to know as, as the greatest refuge in our life. The other encouragement, the instruction my first teacher gave to me in the beginning of practice is to be free of indebtedness. To be free of indebtedness. I find this very interesting. And to explain it just a little bit, I mean, some of you may know or certainly have a sense of, of what it feels like when you're terribly in debt financially. You know, the the anxiety, the preoccupation, the apprehension about the future, the the kind of burden that comes with feeling in debt. And then to imagine that you're suddenly able to repay that debt and the tremendous sense of relief and freedom that would come with that. Now, when my teacher spoke to me about being free of indebtedness, it, it wasn't just about material indebtedness, but more about emotional and psychological indebtedness. And this is not something that is a prerequisite to beginning the practice. I feel like this is a whole training to learn to be free of emotional and psychological indebtedness. If we want to know what we are in debt to, we only really need to see what we keep dwelling upon in our minds. What we are preoccupied with. What we obsess about. What keeps tugging at our attention over and over again. This is showing to us all the times the things in our life, inwardly or outwardly, that we are not at peace with. And our practice is actually learning to be at peace with, to liberate ourselves from that sense of indebtedness. I think for most of us, this is a whole investigation, a whole path. You know, how to do that. Sometimes freeing ourselves of indebtedness is an outer act, maybe not this week, but at some appropriate moment, Freeing ourselves from indebtedness may be an outer act of peacemaking, of forgiving or asking for forgiveness, of learning to let go. Sometimes freeing ourselves from indebtedness is very much an inner act of peacemaking. What we are able to bring to completion, to let go of, to forgive inwardly, to be able to put down, to to kind of let go of some of that burdens, sense of burdens that we carry, to cultivate a mind that is not imprisoned, a heart that is not imprisoned or governed. Sometimes being free of indebtedness just comes in that moment when we stop arguing with the way things are. 
when we make peace with the way things actually are in the moment. This week, like every retreat, will be a journey. If you've been here for 21 years, I would ask you to approach this retreat as if it's your first one. To really practice with sincerity, with that willingness to learn, that capacity to open, to be present. And I really do wish for you and that you have a truly rich and uh, wonderful retreat. So it is utterly lovely and delightful to be here and to see all of you. When I think of Christina and I having taught this retreat for 21 years, it sounds like a really long time to me. And yet, in another way, I feel like it's been maybe a couple of years, you know, that we've all been together in this environment. And I think that that is because of practice. I think it's because of practice, because there's a certain kind of ever-newness when we practice. And I know many of you know this sense of ever-newness. And it's it's what we're um, invited into on this path is that everything is always new, it's always fresh, unless our minds get in there and say, no, it's not. It's happening again. It's still happening. When will it go away? When will things change? Yeah. But in remembering, and practice is always a remembering, there is this ever newness that we can touch. One thing about retreats is that it is an environment of real simplicity. There's not much happening around here. Sometimes I I look out and from this place here and everybody's facing up front. And usually when everybody faces in this way, and everybody's pointing in the same direction, there's a movie going on. <laughs> and there's not a movie in this, in this instance. You know, there's no entertainment. There's, no, um, there's not much going on around here. There are cushions. There are chairs. Um, this is a pretty bare room. It's a lovely room. You know, it's been redone, uh, some of us know. But it's... Um, it's a, a pretty bare room, and the center is the same. It's a pretty empty space. So I think that the reason for this, this is why uh, meditation centers are the way that they are, is to encourage an inner simplicity of heart. Yeah. There are different ways that we can encourage this inner simplicity of heart, And one way is by caring for the environment. 
Since the time of the early Buddhist nuns, certain ways of practice have been found to be highly beneficial, really fruitful, really helpful. And these forms basically include really a reverence for silence. Not that silence is better than talking, because talking is a a really wonderful thing, but to have times of silence is rare and to be cherished. So a real reverence for not talking, which of course includes seeing if we can not talk quite as much to ourselves and listen to our hearts instead. And we really are here to deeply listen, not to try to talk over ourselves, not to try to convince ourselves of anything, not to try to convince anybody else of anything, not to try to manipulate or control our environment, but really to encourage within ourselves a knowing of silence. Silence allows us to relax. Instead of having to be in environments all the time where something is being asked of us, where we have to come up with something, you know, kind of sane to say, or reasonable to say, or um, uh, funny to say, or whatever it might be. It's such a, a relief, and it's so relaxing to have a bit of silence in our lives in a retreat environment, we really get this. It helps us to remember what is most important to us. Kind of a reordering of our priorities happens in a very natural way. All of us come here because something touches us in some way. Something touches our hearts in some way. We have a sense that this yearning in our hearts actually can be soothed that there can actually be real fulfillment within. And at the same time, it's so easy to forget what is most important. And so in this environment, in the retreat environment, it's a situation where we remind each other by being silent. And we remember ourselves Through listening deeply, we remember what is most important to us, what our deepest aspirations are in this precious human birth. In this retreat environment, revering, having great reverence for silence, encourages our learning how to live in less struggle, learning how to live with a greater degree of steadiness and balance amidst the ups and downs in life. So really, I want to encourage all of us to be impeccable in our sincere efforts to be silent. This is really a time to be alone amidst the support of others. So rare to be with others who want to be silent too without it being like a sullen withdrawal, you know, which maybe we all know as well. This is a very rich and full 
and enjoyable silence. It's not dry. And it's certainly not a withdrawal from one another. It's really an opportunity, an invitation to be alone within oneself, knowing a solitariness, a beautiful solitariness, and at the same time to have the support of one another. One of the values of being in silence is that we can find an inner sense of refuge. We can do what the Buddha encouraged, which is to find a light unto oneself, to be lamps unto oneself, to be a light unto oneself. As I said before, this is an environment of great simplicity in which we can meet and embrace ourselves from moment to moment. And one way to um, appreciate the simplicity, instead of seeing the simplicity as being void of what we usually engage in, one way to relate to the simplicity and to enjoy it is to recognize that very conditioned sense of urgency that we can carry around with us, that sense of pressure of I have to do, I have to become, I have to get, I have to get rid of. You know, I have to. That sense of urgency, that sense of contraction in an environment of silence can relax itself a little bit, or maybe a lot. But if we remember that we can be aware of that sense of urgency instead of acting on it. There is a whole lot of freedom and richness that we can discover. And of course, noticing, being aware of the kinds of projects that we come upon. Sometimes the silence, um, you know, it's great for a little while. And then we start kind of trying to fill it up in some way. And there's not much here to fill it up with. We are creative beings, and so we can do our best. But oftentimes, there's not a whole lot to fill it up with. And so we start thinking about what we need to do, the projects that we can get involved in here or when we leave. Sometimes the mind gets incredibly creative. You know, We find out that we're incredibly creative in terms of the ways that we think and Uh, come up with plans about what we need to do or what we're going to do when we get home. But really the encouragement to live in the here and now, really the the beauty, the great um, bliss, really, of living in the here and now, whether things are going our way or not, there is really actually a sense of bliss in being present. So this is very, very different then carrying around with us this pressure and urgency and project mind. You can really just, you know, call it that when it happens. Ah, project mind is happening right now. I know you. I know this well. I don't have to actually get overly engaged. I can relax back into the here and now. In this spirit of caring for the simplicity of this environment, we really encourage you to avoid reading because we can be so um, addicted, actually, to reading, particularly in this culture. 
you might notice yourself cereal boxes get really interesting. You know, the bulletin board is fascinating at times. Mm-hmm. Um, things that you would think are boring in your usual daily life become really, really the best thing going. And so really to um, avoid uh, reading as much as you possibly can in the service of reading one's heart. Now, it's not to not read. It's just not to read what other people have said. That's really the difference, to really read one's own heart. Avoiding as much as possible writing, because it's not like we need to hold on to anything. Insight is always new and fresh. And it's not like we have to go home with a notebook of our insights that we can do something about. Usually we write these things down and we never even look at them again. So really, in this environment, better to let go. And then the big thing, the really big thing in terms of simplicity, which is cell phones. (laughs) This is your time to... The sixth hindrance. (laughs) (laughs) No cell phone use. No cell phone use. You know, really, truly, if you think that you can't trust yourself, you know, because I'm sure everybody here has a cell phone. So if you think that you can't trust yourself with it, you were only going to use it on your way here or on your way home, this kind of thing, hand it over to the office. You know, give it, give it to the office and it will be taken care of for you and <laughs> hand it back to you when, you when you leave. And I also wanted to mention... Um, I've heard that the walls are pretty thin. So you might not use your cell phone, but you might want to check to see what messages you've gotten. Yeah. And just know that other people can hear you. So you can't even, like, sneak and get away with that, you know? So be, be aware. Um, you know, this is really practical uh, instructions because we can be okay, silence, really enjoying the environment. Things are, are the way they are. And then we get a message, and the mind just kind of goes crazy. And it doesn't need to. It actually doesn't need to. So, really to honor the cell phone law. 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 (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's actually a big problem these days. I mean, any, any retreat center, any of you who have been around anywhere, actually, but retreat centers where the idea is to get unhooked, you know, to connect, definitely. But to connect with yourself, you know, to get unhooked from the ways in our society these days, all of which can be helpful and beneficial, but keep us overly hooked to that which is outside of us. You know, the many technological advantages, advances, advances, thank you, advances that certainly... (laughs) certainly can be very helpful and advancing. (laughs) (laughs) Just forget it. (laughs) The advances that can be advancing can can be really helpful. And at the same time, we are constantly connected to that which is outside of us, constantly trying to take something in instead of deeply listening. So this is an environment where you are encouraged to unhook yourself. You know, no boss is saying you have to keep, keep up with things right now. 
In this environment, of course, we look deeply within because of challenging the belief and the conditioning that acting on our desires is a way to get happy. We do have this belief that if we act on our desires, it will bring happiness. And so, you know, when you... When you're thinking about writing a note because you need this or that or communicating with the office or in terms of rooms or food or this or that, cultivate contentment as much as possible. It's not that some things might not have to be communicated or said, and it's not to be harsh with oneself when there is a real need. And at the same time, cultivating inner contentment, that which is free whatever way the conditions are. This allows us to begin to see from a larger perspective. The narrow perspective is, I have to have this in order to be happy. And it's very limited, very, very narrow. The wider, more expansive perspective is that we can be happy in the midst of the way conditions are. The third arena to look at The third form that is very beneficial is that of the precepts. The precepts are really happiness-producing gems. They are ways to support ourselves and others. They are ways to learn self-trust and the trust of others. They are not shoulds. I should do this or I should do that. They're not ways to be good. They're ways to allow for natural goodness to emerge. And they are indeed expressions of contentment. They are expressions of happiness. We actually, when we're happy, they're not really a question. So the first, of course, is the practice of compassion, the precept of compassion, which means not harming any life forms. The second is generosity, not taking that which doesn't belong to us. The third is kindness and responsibility, the precept of kindness and responsibility, which means not engaging in harmful sexual action, and in this environment means the practice of celibacy. The fourth is wise speech. And of course, oftentimes in this situation, it means no speech whatsoever. But of course, in interview groups and times when you will be speaking, it means avoiding untruthful and unkind speech. And the last is the precept of caring for our bodies and our minds. And really what this means is not misusing alcohol and drugs. And, of course, if you are on prescribed medication, psychological medication, it's really a good idea to continue to take it here. So these three are silence, simplicity, and precepts. All are ways of caring for ourselves. All are ways of caring for one another. And all are actually ways of caring for this environment that we are all creating here. You know, we have the building that's good but we are all creating the atmosphere, the environment. Silence, simplicity, and the precepts support receptivity, relaxation, and peacefulness. And really, 
encourage within us the inner awakening of the heart. I'd like to um, just read you something. I don't know who wrote this. When you adopt the viewpoint that there is nothing that exists that is not a part of you, that there is no one who exists who is not a part of you, that any judgment you make is self-judgment, that any criticism you level is self-criticism, you will wisely extend to yourself an unconditional love that will be the light of the world. So extending this unconditional love to oneself right here and right now. Maybe I should just get off and... (laughs) Yeah, and then we'll switch back. So um, I just wanted to extend um, some warm wishes to everybody here as well. It's really such a pleasure and a joy to see everyone here. I, I want to just say that, um, taking off of what Narayan said, it's such a rare and precious time to be together. It's really such an opportunity to grow and to learn and to understand Meditation practice is really um, an opportunity to, or an invitation opportunity to learn about yourself, to discover who we really are. So I really wish you well in, in, in um, finding out who you really are during this week. Thank you. just want to take a moment to stand. We'll have a short sitting to end the evening, but if you'd like to stretch your body, please do take a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.